a king and a cause. This is our theme this year, a king and a cause. And our theme this year focuses us. How many think that's a good word, focus? Our theme this year focuses us on the greatest person that we could ever love and the greatest purpose we could ever live. How many think that might be a good focus? For me to focus every day on the greatest person I could ever love and for me to focus every day on the greatest purpose I could ever live? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Veronica shared just a moment ago our mandate, our measure for this mandate is found in daily answering this question What on earth am I doing for heaven's sake? The daily answer to that question is the measure to my life sewn in to a king and a cause. The greatest person I could ever love, the greatest purpose I could ever live. So what am I doing? What am I saying and praying? What am I giving and living and believing for his kingdom come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? And what place does this have in my life? What concern is this when I put together all the concerns of my life? When I measure up all the things that I'm concerned about in my life, where does this rank in all of those concerns? Jesus teaches us how to prioritize our life in all of the things that concern us. And he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, be concerned above everything else. So think of the concerns of your life. What will we eat? What will we put on? Where will we live? Be concerned above everything else with the kingdom of God and what he requires of you, and he will provide all of these other concerns for you. It's like you don't, lean, you don't go for them. You go for him and them come to you. This is life in the spirit. This is life in the kingdom of God. It's, it's counterintuitive. Jesus says, above everything you're concerned about, everyone you're concerned about, he says, above everything else, be concerned with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you, and he will provide what you're concerned about providing for yourself. About two or three weeks ago, we looked at this passage of scripture in the New King James Version, seek first, seek first. And we took those two Greek words and did a little exegesis of them, and we, we, we saw the word zeteo, zeteo, seek, proton first, seek first, and we broke those words down and went back to the original meaning, and this is what we came up with. Desire, inquire, and require first in time, first in place, first in order, and first in importance, the kingdom of God. Now, why, why would that work for us? Or how would that work for us? Well, Jesus said this, 
And this is what clears it all up and shows us why this is our first priority. In John 15 and verse 19, he says, you are not of this world. I chose you out of this world. And then he says to his father in prayer for you and me, in John 17 and verse 14, speaking of you and me, he says, they, that's us, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are in the world, but they are not of the world. And that's why the kingdom of God is first in their heart, first in their life, because they're not even of the world. And then Jesus goes on to give us further understanding of how and why this is the way we live our life when he gives, you know, the greatest, I think, The greatest behold. You know, when the scripture says, behold. That means open your eyeballs real big and get really ready for something really big. Behold. And I think maybe the biggest, greatest behold of all time is when Jesus says to you and me in Luke 17, 21, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. What did he say? What did he say? What? Behold, the king and his cause, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is within you. Everywhere you go, the kingdom of God comes. Wherever you go, it goes. You bring with you, you bring within you the kingdom of God wherever you go. I was in contact a couple weeks ago with Pastor Messer, and uh, we, we text back and forth several times a week. And I asked him, Pastor, has the Lord spoken anything prophetic to you recently, uh, maybe, maybe even prophetic about us here at Imaginations, or our leaders, or our teams. It, it, and if not, I said, Pastor, no pressure, no pressure, but just, has the Lord spoken? And he had got right back to me, and he said, he has two things. And the first thing he spoke about, I'm going to talk about next week, but the second thing he spoke was this. This is the prophetic word from Pastor Tom Messer, my pastor. He said, God impressed upon my heart the incredible power of a footprint. He said, great things happen when we make footprints. He said, God said he would give us the places where our footprints go. Now, that was the promise that he made to Abraham. And, of course, uh, we are the heirs of Abraham. And so all the promises of Abraham are ours as well. I will give you 
all the place that your feet go, the footprint. And then Pastor Messer continued with his prophetic word. And here's what he said. Got off the train in Penrith in 1987. Made footprints. Amazing. You, Carol, and the kids made footprints all over Penrith. And the rest is kind of history. He said, God speaks, and we make footprints. And somehow, miraculous things happen. Not a lot happens until we move. And I really thanked him for that word and told him I would share it with you. When we move, his kingdom comes Because the kingdom of God is within you. It's inside of me. This king and his cause, they're inside of you. The sense of devotion that you have to him and the sense of duty that you have for his cause comes from within you. It literally comes from the kingdom that is within you. From deep down in your soul, you know that you have someone to love and you have something to do. And his kingdom come and his will be done is the first priority of your life. Jesus said, In Matthew 11 and verse 12. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching. Until now. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And violent people are attacking it. From the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, forcefully advancing, even through the Roman Empire, even through all that that happened in those hundreds of years, the first millennium, the kingdom, since the time John the Baptist started preaching, the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. It's been forcefully advancing, even though violent people are Oppose it. They can't stop it. How do we, here in the western suburbs of Sydney, continue advancing, advancing, advancing the kingdom of heaven? Two ways. Jesus said in Luke 16, 16, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing in to it. The kingdom of God since the days of John the Baptist has been preached and everywhere it's preached, people press in to it. That's the power of the gospel. 
The preaching of the gospel causes the hearts of men and women in Asia and Africa and men and women in South America and men and women all over the world in China, like a million a month, pressing in to the kingdom of heaven everywhere it's preached. How do we advance the kingdom of God, number one? By declaring and sharing the kindness of God and the cross of his Christ. That's how. The good news, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel message. You don't have to enhance it. You don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to water it down. You don't have to do anything except decree it and declare it. It contains in itself the power, the power to cause men's souls, women's souls to press into it. But they can't press into it where it's not being proclaimed. Secondly, we see this on a huge global scale at the end of the world. In Matthew 25, in the end, at the end of the age, when the Son of Man, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne. How many reckon that's the place for the king? Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. How? Do we advance the kingdom of God in the western suburbs of Sydney? We advance the kingdom of God through the good news of the gospel and the good deeds of the people. This is how we advance the kingdom of God that lives inside of us. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. This is the legacy for you and your family. This is what Jesus says to the DeMartin family. This is what Jesus says to the Parker family. And this is what Jesus says to the Peacock family. He says this. Your light. I'm reading from Matthew 5, 16. Your light must shine before people so that they will see the good deeds you do and praise, wait for it, your Father in heaven. This is your legacy as a family. Your light as a family must shine before 
people. Now, there's another place Jesus says, don't lift your left hand, know what your right hand doing. He's talking about, you know, wanting credit for stuff. We're not going, this isn't that. This is winning a lost world. This is the gospel going to everyone everywhere. Don't compare this to that. Jesus said, your light must shine before people so that they will see, see the good things that you do and praise, not you, your father in heaven. When we show the mercies of Jesus and the kindness of the king, we advance the kingdom of heaven. This is how his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10, Jesus prayed, your will, your will, your will, my father, your will be done in Sydney, your will be done in Oklahoma. Your will be, and those who are watching in Liberia, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So who does that? Who does it? Who does his will on earth? Those who live on earth with the kingdom of heaven within them. I was talking to a sister that's been a part of this church almost her entire life. And she was sharing with me not too long ago that she was at Kohl's. And as she stood in line, the lady in front of her was saying, what's the total now? And uh, take that out. We'll put that to the side. What's the total now? And she was watching and monitoring, and she said her heart just really went out to this woman. And after a little while, she walked up to her and said, I I don't mean to intrude. She said, my husband and I are Christians, and we have a a business, and we want to serve the Lord with our business. She said, would you allow me today to help you? Would you allow me today to pay for your groceries? No, 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 she said, no, 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 no. She said, are you sure? We would, we would really love to do that. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. So she stood there and again, and, and, then, and then when she tried to use her credit card, the credit card wasn't working. And she was fumbling for another credit card. And so she had approached her. She approached her three times and said, I cannot tell you what it would mean for me and my husband if you would let, let us help you. And she said, No. When she got to the car, the lady came up to her and wanted to thank her again. She said, look, I've never taken help like that from anyone, but I, I'm really touched that you wanted to do that for me. And you know what I said to that sister who's been in our church almost all of her life? I said, you know what you did in that moment? You turned common ground into holy ground. And that is what we do. We bring the kingdom of heaven to the culture of the world. When we act like Jesus, when we extend his love, his kindness, his mercies, we are turning common 
ground into holy ground. We are advancing his kingdom and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Who does that? We do. A few months ago, Carol and I were in Oklahoma, about an hour outside of Oklahoma City in a little country town, visiting my sister Rhonda, who joins us uh, uh, pretty much every week from Oklahoma. And we had a free morning. All the family was going to get together that evening, and I hadn't seen some nephews and nieces in 15 years. And it was, but I had the morning free, and I had my golf clubs with me. So I thought, you know, I feel led to just um, go to the little golf course that's here and maybe just play nine holes of golf, and, and then I'll go join the family. And so I got there. The, the, the pro was very nice. He got me on. And uh, so just before I tee off, he comes out and he says, hey, he said, I, I need you to do me a solid. <laughs> he said, a guy has just drove all the way up from Oklahoma City. I have nowhere to put him in today. He wants to play golf. He said, would you mind if I just joined him with you? I said, sure, sure, no problem. So this fella walks up. I shake hands with him, pretty big fella. And uh, I'd say he's in his 40s. Covered with very interesting tattoos all over. Tattoos I'd never seen before. But so we start playing golf. And, and uh, somewhere around the third or fourth hole, he's telling me a little bit uh, about himself. But I was very interested in these tattoos. He had like 16 faces on his arm, you know. And uh, so he, he told me that he was a, a U.S. Army veteran. And he told me that these were 16 of his friends that were killed in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. And then he started sharing with me about sixth, seventh hole, eighth hole, as we just kind of warmed up, the struggle of his life, of his emotions, of his mental state, lost a marriage, was trying to form a new relationship now and was really struggling with this woman's children accepting him. Anyway, we got to the ninth hole. And I was leaving at the ninth and he was going to continue. And right there on the green, I looked at him and I said, Paul, would you mind if I prayed for you? I had no idea how he would respond to that question. He took his hat off, bowed his head, and he said, yes, please. I put my arm on him, and I said, Father, I want to thank you for Paul. I thank you for his service to his country. Thank you for his heart for others and his sacrifice. And, Lord, I, I ask you to heal and help and strengthen. And I've, I just claim favor in all of his new And I just prayed. And I got through praying. He put his hat back on. I shook his hand. He walked that way. I walked that way. But I couldn't help but think that common ground had just become holy ground. They're on a putting green, the ninth hole, common ground. That's what we live on. That's what we walk on. I was thinking this week about Kingswood. Ain't no more common ground in Western Sydney than Kingswood. Common ground. And yet, in 2018, I began to share with Andrew a vision that the Lord had put in my heart about providing a place of safety, for safe sleeping, for people 
who are doing it rough. And so in 2018, we took out a big long lease on two apartments there above the op shop. Our guys here went in and they've refurbished it quite a few times actually. And uh, I just thought, I'm gonna give Drew a call. And so I called him a couple days ago and I said, Andrew, how many safe sleeps for domestic violence, for women and children? We've had women in those apartments, Andrew's told me, that were beaten to a pulp. I said, Andrew, how many safe places, how many safe sleeps have we provided? Can you give me a guess? Can you give me an estimation? He got right back to me, and he said 7,908. What's more common ground than Kingswood? But Jesus said, and I read this just a moment ago, Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. Every night that Jesus sleeps in those apartments, they are holy ground. And Jesus has slept in those apartments 7,908 times. We may not be able to turn water into wine we may not be able to turn five loaves and two fishes into a feast that feeds a multitude. But Jesus teaches us how to turn common, ordinary, regular, dusty, earthy ground into holy and heavenly ground. He says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 41, And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. There's nothing more common than a mile. But there's nothing more uncommon than two miles. Now, of course, Jesus' listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the occupying forces of the Roman soldiers were there oppressing them oppressing them, depressing them every day. And by law, a Roman soldier could point to anyone, anyone, and compel that person to carry his kit for a mile and then drop it and then turn around and go back the other mile, hating every step, hating every step. In a mile, there's 5,280 feet. Hating 5,280 feet. As a matter of fact, the Good News Bible says it this way. And if one of the occupation troops forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. One mile is common ground. Two miles is holy ground. The kingdom of God is within you. There's nothing more holy or uncommon than that, than what is within you, than what is within you. And yet here we are, the kingdom of God and the culture of the world. The kingdom of God and the culture of the world. The culture of the world is common. What's more common than hating your enemies? 
or cursing those who curse you, or canceling those who hate you, or detesting those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Common. That's the culture of the world. It's common. Jesus said, but I say to you, in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Wait for it. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. In heaven. Your Father. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How does that happen? It happens. This, it happens when we turn common ground into holy ground. This is how you, this is how I advance the kingdom of heaven. This is how his will, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. I had the privilege a couple months ago now of hiking from Porto, Portugal to Santiago de Compostela in Spain, just under 300 kilometers, a couple weeks. It was my second Camino. I did the first Camino several years ago with my daughter, Carissa, and it was a much longer Camino, but this Camino was just wonderful. You know, days and days of just walking along the coast, the great Atlantic coast there. And, but one of the interesting things about anyone who's ever been on a long hike like that, you would know, is all the people you meet. You just meet all kinds of people from all walks of life. And eventually, kind of friendships develop. And, and uh, you know, you may go a few days and not see anyone. And then three or four days later, you see them and you thought, well, maybe I thought we passed each other. You know, maybe I, they went ahead of me or I'm behind them or something like that. And all of a sudden, there they are, like four or five days later. And so, in the early stages of that walk, I noticed a young woman. I would say she was in her mid-30s. She had... Short hair, she was covered in tattoos, she spoke with a husky voice, and I knew that her world and my world were two completely different worlds. And yet, I'd walk past her several times, or she'd walk past me. And on about the third day, I walked past her and I heard her, and she was alone doing the Camino by herself, but she would join groups. And as I walked past her, I heard her say, that guy that just walked past us. And I'm, I'm thinking, uh, I'm, I'm catching the end of, the, the end of a conversation. She said, I, he's, he's a veteran. I heard him talking the other day to someone. And, uh, he's, he's, and I stopped and turned around. And I said, uh, because what had happened is I was sitting having a coffee one day. And this couple came in. And we chatted, where are you from? You know, come to find out, this guy was from my old unit. I could not believe it. I'd never in my life met anyone that served in the same old unit I served in, because that was like 132 years ago, you know? <laughs> and anyway, evidently, I didn't know, but she was there. She heard the conversation. I walked by. She said, I think he's a veteran. I stopped. I turned around, and I said, I'm a U.S. Army veteran. She said, I'm a Navy veteran. I said, thank you for your service. She said, well, thank you for your service. And we'd pass different days. 
I'd walk past her and I'd say, how's, how's the Navy this morning? She'd say, Navy's good. How's the Army? I'd say, the Army's sure grateful for the Navy, I can tell you that. And she'd say, the Navy's grateful for the Navy. And, and I can't help it, but she worked her way into my heart. And I'd think about her. And I'd pray for her. And, you know, we had these little conversations. And one day, I, Carol was there. And I introduced her to Carol. Carol. Honey, I want you to meet my new friend. And um, so, by the second week, I know how special the Camino can be when you, you know, reach the end. Really special. That last kilometer is so special. You're walking through these old cobblestone streets in this old Spanish town into the big cathedral area, you know, and I just thought, Lord, I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but if she's there the day that Carol and I, if she's out there in that square, I'm going to walk up to her and I'm going to put my arm around her and I'm going to tell her I'm proud of her. I'll just leave that with you, Lord. But that's what I really, that's what I want to do. I want to tell her I'm proud of her. That's a big hike to do it all by yourself. So, last day. We're walking and Carol's got everything ready for me to come in. She's going to walk in with me that last couple of kilometers. And she's parked the car. She's waiting for me. And uh, I send her a text. And I said, I don't want it to end. I don't want it to end. But I knew it was ending. And so she met me in the park. We, walk, we come right up to the last kilometer of the old city. And we're on our way. I cannot believe we start our first step. And to my left and behind me, there she was. I couldn't believe it. Jack, she said. I said, Wait, you're just here? She said, yeah. And then she said, could I walk in with you? And then she looked at Carol and she said, oh, no, no, but, but if you don't, if you guys want to make this your own special, Carol said, come on, come on, because nobody should have to walk in there alone. And so for a kilometer, we walked in and then we stepped out into the big square and there's the big cathedral. And it's just that you've just spent the last two weeks of your life. You've been walking hours and hours a day and, and you've made it and it's rich and there's, it's very emotional. And we walked into that square together, and I just walked, took a few steps ahead, and I looked up at that cathedral. And Carol was behind me. I didn't know she'd snapped that photo. And then to my left and behind me was my friend. I'm weeping. And I turned around and looked. She was weeping. And I turned, and I walked over to her, and I put my arm on her. I said, I'm really proud of you. And she just broke down. And she shared with me the struggle, the struggle of deep personal depression. She shared with me that just a few days before, she didn't think she could finish this Camino because she'd had a panic attack so bad she could hardly breathe and didn't think she could keep going. I put my arm around her and I said, I had my first panic attack when I was 10 years old. I feel you. And I know what depression is because I've lived in the deep, dark dregs of it myself. She said, what do you do? What do you do? I said, you outlast it. And then you hold on to whatever it is that anchors your life. And I said, for me, that's God. He anchors. 
He anchors my life. She wanted to stay with us for a while. She said, could we go together to get the certificate? And then after we got the certificate, she didn't want to be alone. And she tried calling her mom, and she tried calling her partner. Her partner, I think her partner, she lives in Colorado. Anyway, she was trying to make some contact with people from home. And she said, could we, could we have lunch? Let's go have lunch. So we sat down in this beautiful piazza to have lunch. And she said, Jack, I've never asked you, what do you do? <laughs> I said, Carol and I are pastors. She said, no effing way. <laughs> she said, I thought people like you were against people like me. They brought the food. They set it on the table. I said, Drew, Carol and I are going to pray over this meal. And I took Carol's hand. She reached out and gave me her hand. She took Carol's hand. She bowed her head. And she joined us as I began to pray and thank God for this food and for my new friend. And to begin to just pray. And once we finished the prayer, we talked. And she looked over at Carol and she said, how did this happen to you? And for the next few minutes, Carol shared her entire testimony of how she found Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. We pulled back the chairs. We got up. We hugged. She went this way. We went that way. But I had this sense that in that moment on those cobblestone streets, common ground had been turned to holy ground. Jesus said... We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And when you share the message of Jesus and show the mercies of Jesus, you turn common ground into holy ground. Now, just before he died, Stephen, the great martyr in the book of Acts, preached about Moses. And here's what he said, Acts chapter 7 and verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, actually, he was standing on common ground. He was standing on dirt in a dusty desert in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. What made it holy? The presence of God. 
we can turn common ground into holy ground when we bring the presence of God to those around us with the good news and the good deeds of the kingdom. Would you stand with me? Team, would you come? This is our mission. This is your mission to turn common ground into holy ground. This is how his will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. When you turn common ground, what's more common than where you live? What's more common than where you work? What's more common than how you get to a place? To, 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 to a place? Steve, what's more common than a truck stop? What's more common, Tracy, than a classroom? What's more common than an office? What's more common than the neighborhood you live in? What they don't know is that the kingdom of God is near. Every one of those who come near you and around you have no idea that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near because the kingdom of God is within you. And your mission is to turn common ground into holy ground by the good news and the good deeds of Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? If this message has stirred your heart, if this message has said, has moved something inside of you that says, I am on mission. I want to be on mission. I am not going to be distracted. I'm not going to lose my focus of the greatest person I could ever love or the greatest purpose I could ever live. Jesus, help me, help me, help me to take this week, take at home, everywhere I go, Jesus, my mission is for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, to take common ground like coals or common ground like Kingswood or common ground like cobblestones, to take common ground and to turn it into holy ground by showing the love and the kindness and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ to those around me. If there's a stirring in your heart for that, let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. If there's a stirring, God, help me. I, I Get me on mission, Jesus. Get me on mission. I can do this. I can do this. Uh, the kingdom of God is within me. The power of God is within me. The Holy Spirit is within me. I have, I have this mantle. I have this mandate. This is my mandate. This is my kingdom. Lord, your kingdom. I'm in it. I'm in it. God, set me on fire. Set me on mission. Set me on purpose. God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help me. I can't turn water into wine. I can't turn fishes and, and, and loaves, Lord, into feasts. But I can go an extra mile. I can love someone who hates me. I can do good to someone who's doing bad to me. I can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I can tell my story. I can embrace people. Even if I don't endorse them, I can embrace them. I believe right now we are on holy ground. The word of God is preached. The spirit of God is here. The Holy Spirit is moving right now in this auditorium. The Holy Spirit is moving on hearts right now. Clarity is coming. Confusion is leaving. Simplicity is finding a wonderful, wonderful space and place in the hearts of some.
focus, life, light. Heavenly Father, we are your people. We're not our own. And Lord, we're not the world's. The world doesn't own us. The world doesn't have us. We're not of it. We're not of it. We're no more of it than you are. And you didn't pray that the Lord, that your father would take us out of it. But right here, right in the middle of it, that he would protect us. He would keep us from the evil one while we bring your kingdom. While we bring your kingdom to our Kingswood or while we bring your kingdom, Lord, into our area, into our, by living the life in the light, shining the love, being like Jesus, being kind, being compassionate, declaring the good news of the cross. I pray today would be a line in the sand. I pray today we would step over and give ourselves like we've never given ourselves before to this king and his cause. In Jesus' name, amen.